Senator, you obviously have a unique perspective on Bob Dole's story. I mean, you were there, you and Phil Hart uh, were there in Battle Creek uh, as part of the first caucus, and uh, you were in the Senate before he arrived here. You were been in the Senate long after he left. Um, tell us about those days in Battle Creek, first of all, and did he display any interest in politics? Well, as a little more background, he was wounded a week ahead of me, one mountain away. You know, really? I could have seen him if I looked for him on a binoculars. And we somehow found ourselves in the same hospital. And at the time I first met him, he was on one of these stretches, whatever you call it, and he was being pushed around. He was laying on his back. Most Americans don't realize it's much more than his arm. If you open his shirt, you'll see all kinds of lines all over the place. There's scars. And uh, you can tell that even to this day, I think he's in constant pain, but he must have gotten used to it. Well, we got so close at this point because he's disabled, I'm disabled, he's got an arm problem, I got an arm problem, and I would look at his arm and he's always stiff and not doing anything. I used to tell him, why the hell don't you cut it off? And he'd look at me seriously, he said, I came in here with two arms and two legs and I'm going out of here with two arms and two legs. And just about the time I was preparing myself to leave the hospital and be civilianized. Bob was still scheduled to stay there for a little while longer. I sat down with him and had a fine talk and I said, what are your plans? He said, I'm gonna be a lawyer. That's fine. Then I'm gonna be the county attorney. Not I'm gonna run for county. I'm gonna be the county attorney. <clears throat> I see that's fine. You know, it's, it's almost like the county is run by his daddy, and daddy's going to make the county attorney. And I says, "Is that it?" He said, "Oh no, no, just the beginning." He says, uh, "Then I'll run for the state legislature." And on the first opening in the Congress, that's where I'm going. I said, "Gee, that's ambitious." And that's exciting. At that point, I hadn't really made up my mind. But I knew I could not be a physician. That's my goal. So I said, you know, I'm going to follow your suggestion. So I went to law school. I became an assistant public prosecutor. I went into the territorial legislature. And when statehood came along, zingo, I'm here. When I got here, I looked around and I thought, well, I'll be a little rascally. I sent him a telegram. Bob, I'm here. Where are you? <laughs> uh, but we've been friends all along. <clears throat> what was he like back then? Um, it's hard, obviously, for those of us who didn't live through that experience to imagine ourselves into 
into a, a facility like that? What was there? What did you do all day? Well, we, depending on our state of uh, cure, depending on our injury, but we had to go to rehab, we had to go through exercises, surgery, what have you it is. In my case, all of my surgery was behind me and this was rehab time. For him, surgery was still ahead of him. In my case, it's simple, take care of this and that's it. You know, the other things just healed by itself. But in his case, it took time because what they were trying to do was to restore some life in a dead limb. I hate to put it that way, but yeah. Yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Did, did he have a sense of humor then? Not as much as he has it here. At that time, he was at times morose, you know? Yeah. And I can imagine because he was a guy who was ambitious and who knew what he wanted and he found himself in this condition not knowing whether he's going to make it or not but I think it's that drive that kept him going. And that existed before <clears throat> the war, you think? Is that something that uh, the war sharpened? I think the war did. I didn't know him before the war right. actually. But uh, when we got here and found ourselves together, I watched him operate, and it was different from the hospital. Here he was standing up, walking, you know, tall, good-looking, personable, <clears throat> at times can be very charming. And as many of us would say, it takes two to tango. But he was the one who went out and asked for the tango. See, right now, we all know it takes two to tango. The leadership knows that. But one has to make the move. Yeah. Bob Dole, if he thought that the move was necessary, did not hesitate. And tell me about <clears throat> Phil Hart, because he was the, Phil Hart, he was the other member of your your caucus, wasn't he? It was like apples and oranges. Really? How so? Well, you take um, Bob Dole and I were lieutenants. Phil Hart was a colonel. And you would have never guessed that. If you can imagine, this is my first day at Percy Jones. And uh, being the first day, I thought I'd socialize and go to the officers club. Walked in there and here's this guy with a sweater and I think he had khakis on or something. <clears throat> and he came up to me and he said, um, can I get you a drink? I just assumed he was a waiter. And he got me a Coke, rum and Coke, you know, in those days that's what we Macho guys drank. <laughs> and <clears throat> did, but by the way, did Senator Dole drink in those days? You remember? Never saw him. Yeah. Never saw him drink. Because yeah. uh, he would come around. He's on this. In later on, he was on this 
wheelchair, but, uh, and he always had this nurse pushing him. <clears throat> and I think Lady Home became his wife. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, uh, but for about three, four days, I'd go to the club and this fellow would be coming around, hey, come back, welcome. And he'd take me to my place to sit and rum and coke again? Yes, sir. So finally I said, what's his name? Oh, his name is Phil. Is he your employee or patient? Oh, he's a patient. A patient? So I said, what rank is he, Colonel? <laughs> I've never had a Colonel serve me rum and coke. <laughs> Phil Hart, we're, sitting, we're meeting in the Phil Hart building. What was it about Phil Hart that was so special? I mean, I know bipartisan well, consensus. Well, Phil Hart would disagree with you, but he was never angry, and you could not get angry with him. And even if he knew that his idea would not be acceptable, to neither side, he would propose it and seriously present it. And he might lose 97 to 2. And I think the record shows that <laughs> often. But he did that. And after a while, I think the fellows began to take him very seriously. <clears throat> In the beginning, you know, this is a club. You're supposed to be one who understands the business. Uh, the, it's always the achievable, the real world. You know, these are the terms you use. But here was this fellow who came up and said, I believe in this. I think this is the right thing to do. And I think you're wrong. But he says it in such a way that you just can't get angry. Mm. You talk about the Senate as a club. We've talked to a lot of your colleagues, current and former. Mm. What, what Bob Dole wanted this to be about was as much the Senate as himself and how the Senate has evolved and some would say degenerated. I don't know. I mean, you've been here since 1962. Um, is there such a thing as the good old days compared to the Senate in more modern times? Well, if you study the history of the Senate, um, it is like a group of people pursuing a goal. And in this case, we call it democracy. And oftentimes, the leadership says the trail going to the left is a better trail. Then you go too far, somebody else says, no, I think it's the right side. And so it's been left and right. And you've had periods, civil war, the extreme. And then you have periods when everything was joyous. And so I cannot say that we are evolving from this state to another state, because I've seen it go up and down, up and down. <clears throat> but if you were to compare my early days, it was much more pleasant. And why was it much more pleasant? 
because today we seem to be conducting ourselves a bit more partisan, like very partisan. Uh, for example, in the early days, even if the rules did permit it, very, very, very seldom would any member put a hold on your bill. I have put a hole on a bill twice, but I would go up to you and I'd say, Jack, I'm putting a hole on your bill for 24 hours because I want to study it. I don't know anything about it, but it seems very important. And you say, oh, fine. And next day it's off. Today, some of these polls are secret. You don't know who's putting it on. And one man can frustrate the whole United States Senate. And that's not democratic. As far as I'm concerned, that rule has to be repealed. We now, we, we have measures that the committee unanimously reports on, bipartisan. But some guy decides, no, I don't want it. No, it's an earmark or something like that. It's wide open, transparent as can be. You know, you keep hearing about a loss of civility, not, not just in the Senate, but in the political process generally. Do you think that's, broadly speaking, that's accurate, that it's a less civil place than it was well, 40 years ago? Well, I would think uh, in the early days when we were civil, you would come up to me and say, I'm going to put a hole on. Yeah. There's no hard feeling whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't do this to gut you. It wasn't to, for revenge. And we made ourselves known. Filibusters were serious. It wasn't one of these, well, you guys bring this up, we're going to filibuster it. How much do you think the media has influenced this? I mean, not just television, but now the rise of cable television and the Internet and talk radio, all of which seems to want to stoke the fire. They control this place. In the early days, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox later on came along. No cable. Radio stations were primarily the three. And, um, well, the, the press, for example, today would be unheard of. But if you can imagine, the Roosevelt administration telling the press you will never photograph him in a wheelchair. Okay. And as a result, there are only two remaining, two that were taken in the kitchen by the family. And when the paralyzed veterans wanted their wheelchair in the display, I said, that's not part of history because we can't make it up. The only thing we got is this. Yeah. It was made out of a regular chair yeah. with wheels on. I want to ask you something. So I'll ask you something I asked Vice President Mondale and, and Senator Kennedy. Um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you had two parties, each of which had, to some degree, liberal and conservative wings. It would seem to me 
to be reasonable to believe that since you had to, within your own party, work in effect across ideological divides, that made you both more proficient in and more liable to, to work across the aisles in terms of uh, between the parties. Is that, is that true? I mean, now that you have more unilaterally, quote, liberal and conservative parties, is that one factor that you think works against the kind of across the aisle? No, I, don't, I don't think so. No. Okay. Because in our days, um, you had organizations like that. You had uh, religious groups. But uh, I think the members themselves, well, with a few exceptions, were not mean and vindictive. Alan Greenspan said something interesting. He said one factor he thinks is that senators from the West Coast, before the jet plane, they didn't go home every weekend. They stayed here in D.C. They often brought their families with them, <laughs> you know, to D.C. And you, it was more of a not only a club, but it was a kind of a collegial village, almost, of, uh, of lawmakers. Yeah, I never thought of that, because I'm from as far away as you can go. <laughs> and I, during the early days in the house, I think I got back about three times a year. Really? Yeah. About a year ago, I was get back about a dozen times a year. Now I get back about six, seven times a year. Uh, the workload is getting bigger. When, when Bob Dole came here, well, of course, he was in the House first, and then came over to the Senate in 69, and established himself as the so-called sheriff of the Senate, I mean, the, 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 the gunslinger for the Nixon White House. <clears throat> There's a perception that the Bob Dole of the 1980s and the 1990s is very different in some ways from the Bob Dole of 1969, 1970. Is that, is that true? Yeah, because of the role he played. And uh, I think in his mind, he felt that that was about the only way open to him to get to where he wanted to be in the leadership. Otherwise, he'd be a member. And I did not see Bob Dole as just a member. Anyone in a hospital who can be there stretched out telling me eyeball to eyeball, I'm going to be the county attorney, and then I'm going to be in the state legislature, and the first opening, I'm going to Congress. You know, there are other people, very ambitious people, who would say, well, I hope someday I can be there. Did that, did that procession go to the White House? I mean, did he, do you think he saw himself someday? He didn't use the White House, but I said to myself, anyone who is straight out this far, that's just step number one. The original so I theory. wasn't surprised. I don't think any one of us here was surprised when he ran for the presidency. There's a theory that he, the so-called new Bob Dole, 
1980 when <clears> the Republicans <throat> take the Senate, and all of a sudden he finds himself a committee chairman. And basically he decides either, you know, you can no longer govern by press release. You, you have to be responsible. And he had an opportunity to demonstrate what he could do. I mean, do you think that's a significant turning point? I mean, having been in the majority and in the minority, is it? Uh, it is, for some, it could be a traumatic experience because it's suddenly, uh-oh, I'm it. It makes a difference. Yeah. Tell me about the importance of the Finance Committee. Well, the Finance Committee uh, essentially will tell the rest of us you can make all kinds of sounds about spending a half a billion dollars for this, but if you don't have the money, you're not going to spend it. In that sense, you have to be very careful. And furthermore, politically, the Finance Committee can be one of the most sensitive areas. Taxes. And health issues, too. I mean, Medicare. Right. Medicare, Medicaid. Medicare. And so, politically, that committee can make or break candidates. Is it a palm assignment to be on the Finance Committee or something to be run away from? Uh, most people seek the Finance Committee. But not because they are CPAs, but because they're politicians. What I'm trying to say is that maybe we should get a better balance of a good number of CPAs yeah. and a good number of politicians. Yeah. The, um, what, what are the, I mean, everyone talks, when I, people talk about the good old days, I mean, or the bad old days, mm -hmm. and they talk about how Wendy Johnson ran the Senate, and uh, as if that's the role model. And every, it seems as if every majority leader and every minority leader since has to some degree or other complained, you know, that they don't have the weapons, they don't have the, the tools that, a, that an LBJ had. Is that, is that an exaggeration, or what has changed about the place? They it's not factual in this sense. Lyndon Johnson would be in hell today if he had to be a leader with 51, 49. You must keep in mind that his majority was 60. That's a big difference. Yes. Yeah, I think actually, Senator, I've heard Dole say when Mike Mansfield had 67 at one point. That's right. He says it's a lot easier to leave when you've got 67 votes. And I think Lyndon Johnson had over 60. Yeah. yeah. That makes a big difference. What, what are the tools that a majority leader still has? He has the tool of persuading. And he has a position to do that. He is the one who has a major role in developing and appointing members of whatever committee you want to call it, steering committee or the committee of committees, what have you. But these are the people who say, you will become member of this committee, you will become member of that committee. Now, there are people who have applied for the last 25 years for a certain committee but never get in. 
On the other hand, there's somebody who came along just four years ago, and he gets in. And, and, it, and, it the, is and the leader can say, well, we have to keep in mind regional representation. <laughs> and it is presumed that those who get on the committee are eternally grateful to the leader for That's putting right. them there. Okay. And, <clears throat> and a minority leader. What, what, what uh, does a minority leader have? Same to, thing. Okay. And he today has a great power. He says, well, we, we don't want this bill passed. 60 vote rule and the filibuster. And in, in that sense, he's much more powerful than Lyndon Johnson. Hmm. Oh, well put. Because well, if you look at the goal being legislation. Dole, let me ask you your opinion. Um, Dole's a conservative, but yep. Dole's never been a supply cider. Dole's a Midwestern, fiscal conservative, I think somewhat uncomfortable with some of the social issues. Um, and in many ways, his career unfolded at a time when the party was moving further and further to the right, and conservatism <clears throat> was being redefined. Did you sense that he was at all uncomfortable in some, in some ways with where where that was going, I mean, was he, he almost is in a position of chasing a caboose, you know, as it, as it, as it well, goes over the horizon. At times he would show discomfort and displeasure with members of his side when they were too left. Too left. Too liberal. But uh, as he grew into the job, He became, well, he was one of the early ones who told me, you can disagree and disagree vigorously, but don't be disagreeable. That's where his humor started coming out. Do you think there's a little bit of the populist in Dole? And I mean by that, uh, you know, a kid growing up in Dust Bowl, Kansas, with as little as, as they had. Um, I, I, I just, and, 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 and the sense of humor that punctures stuffed shirts. I mean, I just, I wonder if there's a little bit of prairie populism. Uh, well, I'm not from Kansas, so I can't say yes or no, but. Uh, yeah. Knowing him, I'm certain his childhood, his background had a great influence. You know, I mean, when you and Senator Hart and he got together, obviously you were together a lot. Did you ever talk about the past? I mean, did you? Was that something that was? You mean about our injuries? Yeah, and stuff? about about your experience together. Not much. Very. In fact, in a hospital, they all know that everyone else is injured, and we all know that it is not, the severity of the injury is not determined by the size of the wound or the, the size of the missile, but it's what's in here and what's in here, and what's at home. Now, what, now there are some men who, I have a very good friend who lost his arm, he suddenly cut himself off to his girlfriend. 
because he was afraid, as he put it, to take off my clothes. So there are all different variations. And we know that and we sense that. So unless someone brings it up. Hmm. I mean, I sense that it was only relatively late in his career that he was actually comfortable talking publicly much about his wartime experience. Well, in the hospital, we, the only time we touched upon it was that, you know, you go through the, the ritual that young men who are wounded go through. I'm Dan. I'm Bob. Where are you from? I'm from here. What outfit with you? You know, all that business. And then you find out where you got wounded. And I, and I said to him, my God, that's just a mountain away. Yeah, that's right. We may have ended up in the same field hospital for all we know. Now, he's gone back. Have you been back to the no. site? Never. He wanted me to go back. Uh, there's some people who'd like to go back and retrace their steps. No. Yeah. I've, I've shied away. Yeah. Did he grow <clears throat> as a senator? Do you think he grew? Absolutely. While he was here in the Senate, as I mean, as a as a senator, did he? Uh... He. I knew him as someone with great ambition in the hospital. We had plans, and when he got here, he was working on that journey. But as he took those steps on that journey, he grew and got mellow got a bit more realistic. And that's why some of our colleagues couldn't understand how can I supposedly identify with the liberals, get along with him. The, the fact that we're in a hospital together does not, in and of itself, give you the reason. I can be in a hospital with many other people and that might not be the outcome. But somehow, we understood each other. Well, but see, that gets to get this larger. <clears throat> we would disagree. We, we disagreed maybe 90% of the time. But we were never disagreeable. We didn't curse each other. But there's this sense <clears throat> that there's that almost generational willingness to, to follow that. I mean, to, to reach across the aisle and at least to work you know, if, if you may not be able to agree, but, but you, you can conduct your disagreements in a civil way. Oh, yes. And there's a perception that there's a whole new generation of members of Congress in both houses who are, who are less inclined to conduct themselves that way. Is that, is that an exaggeration? No. Is it? So it is a different culture. And uh, for some reason, they feel that they've accepted the mantle of being a Democrat, so they, they think they should do this to conduct themselves like Democrats. But where do you think that came from? Because obviously it applies to the Republicans too. It's a... Well... I wouldn't say from profound thoughts and readings. And <laughs> well, somewhere on the line, 
the media has made us a bit more partisan. They can't help it. Yeah. And the media itself and talk shows and TV commentators, op-eds, have become glowingly partisan. And it has an effect upon all of us. Is the House a more partisan <clears throat> body than the Senate? Yes, it is because it is a two-year body. The moment they get elected, they're campaigning for re-election. And re-elections somehow are conducted in a partisan fashion. Isn't it also true that more recently, if you run for the Senate, you have to run, obviously, statewide. You have to take into account a whole range of diverse <clears throat> interests. With more and more gerrymandered House seats, seats that are basically devised so that you know in advance which party is going to win, you, you have no incentive to try to reach out beyond your so-called base. I mean, doesn't that make the House more partisan, even, than, than the two-year with the gerrymandering and such, it does make them, with the potential of being much more partisan. And uh, even in a place like Hawaii, if you're a city candidate or a rural candidate, it's a difference. You represent different types of people. Yeah. Why do you think it's difficult for senators to go from the Senate to the White House? This year, obviously, we're going to see history change, but... I, I really never gave much thought to that. But when you think about it, it was Kennedy the last time. This time, you'll have one. In a way, you'll have one. <laughs> well, maybe it's because we're too close to the White House. And... Um, And when you're serving in Washington, you can't help it. You, even if you try your best, you lose touch with the folks. Is it also possible, I mean, people used to laugh about Bob Dole. I mean, in some ways, the more legislative craftsman you are, you slip into this kind of lingo, this Senate legislative talk that doesn't translate outside the beltway but that you all know, you know what you're saying, but, but, the, right. but the electric doesn't know what you're, what you're saying. And, 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 and in an odd way, the way you run for president today is you, you find differences and you exploit them to rile up the base. Here, the way you succeed is you find a difference and you try to narrow it, or at least, and theoretically, that's how you succeed. And I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but. In the House, I was there for just a term and a half. You were required to make short statements. There's a time limit. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, to say yes, it might take you two hours. Yeah. In the House, to say yes, you had to do it in 10 minutes. That brings up, because I've known Bob Dole a long time. I remember Dan Rostenkowski <clears throat> told me this story about how Bill Clinton, before 
the government shutdown, he, he, he wanted to get kind of a leg up on Dole in the negotiations. He said, tell me something about Dole that'll you know, help me out. And Rostenkowski said he's the most impatient man in Washington. Um, he'll, he'll, you know, the time will come, he'll give you whatever you want just to get out of the room. <laughs> now, I assume that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, is there some of that impatience? I mean, would you, do you detect that in, in, in Dole? And, and if so, he was never that way with me. With me, our relationship was such that he would say, Dad, can you support this? And I would just simply say, no, I can't do that. Okay, no fuss. He would come up to see me. Can you support this? Yes. Because with him, I wasn't partisan. If, if his proposal made sense, it made sense. One area that clearly has become more partisan and that's the whole confirmation process, and particularly Supreme Court justices. <clears throat> Was it inevitable? I mean, is the, is the court has become almost more of a political football? Because of the issues. They almost have become a third legislature, haven't oh, they? Oh, yeah. And that's unfortunate, but uh, that's part of the system. Does it reflect a reluctance on the part of Congress? Hmm? Sometimes does it reflect a reluctance on the part of Congress sometimes to deal with issues and consequently they wind up in the courts? Quite often. <laughs> a couple of things that I'll let you go. Uh, just to kind of big picture, what are Bob Dole's strengths as a, as a legislator? As, as, as a legislator, well, sure. what do you think, you know? <clears throat> He, at times, would be humorous, but those of us who knew him knew him as a very serious person, that he was not BSing you when he says, I'm for that. And we dealt with him on that basis. His word was good. Always. At least with me. I, I can't say for the others. But with me, it was always good. And I believe my word was good to him. And uh, as a result, uh, my constituents never suffered. It made no difference whether you had a Republican in charge or a Democrat in charge. Because I would reciprocate. If the Republican had a good proposal, he's got a good proposal. If it's a lousy one, it's a lousy one whether he's Democrat or Republican. His strength was being able to convince people there was good reason for his support or his opposition. Secondly, he has such a demeanor or an appearance that oftentimes new fellows did not dare take a chance and gamble. You know, they might, with you, you're jolly and all this, you might say, well, I don't think he'll mind it if I say no. He's frightened people, you think? I mean, a little bit, or before they got to know him? <clears throat> the, well, because in the beginning, he was a sledgehammer. So they didn't know when he became leader whether he still carried a sledgehammer. 
Were you surprised when he became leader? No. No. I, I, think, I think I Senator Stevens was. I wasn't I, surprised when he ran. No. Were he and Howard Baker very different in their style of leading? Yep. They all have different styles. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a sense of what his relationship was with President Clinton? Who? I mean, Bob Dole's. Did, did you have a sense at all? Like, for example, when the, when the shutout, when the government shutdown occurred, it was not something he wanted. In one sense, that it was something he was forced to do, accepting because of the House Republicans. Yep. I mean, what was that time like around here? Well, it was not a happy time because some of us sensed that. And uh, he had very little choice. He either had to go along or become uh, an outsider. And he was not an outsider. But it does tell you something about where his own party was going. Yeah. And it was not in the direction that he was comfortable with. Yeah. Were you surprised when he decided to leave the Senate? Yes, I was. Do you remember? I mean, it's interesting. I was surprised because I thought he would leave if he thought he'd be the president. Oh, that's the journey yeah. upward. Yeah. But when he left to go in the private sector, because he never occurred to me as one who wanted to make money. So in that sense, I was surprised. But I knew that he would do well when he went out, which he did, which he's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you see him from time to time? Do you have any contact oh, with him? Oh, I see him quite often. Do you? Now, were you involved with the World War II mem um, memorial campaign? How can I stay out of it with him in charge? Well, <laughs> <laughs> do you sense that that was something he really enjoyed doing? Yes. Yeah. He also felt that he was obliged to do it that it would be most honorable thing for him to just stand by. Because he was in a position to make a difference, and he did so. So members of Congress, no one challenged his leadership in World War II Memorial. You know, there were others of higher rank. No. Yeah. How do you think he should be remembered? As a good, honest man. That he believed in his cause. But he was also a man, the way I look at him, I don't know if others do. He silently suffered. And do you think that's, that suffering is unknown? Not too well known and 
I think it gave him strength. It's fascinating. I I admire silent sufferers. Yeah, yeah. There is certainly a laconic quality. Uh, I mean, I think he would have had that if he'd never gone to war. I mean, I think Kansas, the yeah. Dust Bowl. But it's interesting. Your, your sense is that he has been and is in pain in a way that not just physical. How else? Well, I think he felt he should have been better treated when he ran for the presidency. Better treated by his own party, or? No, he didn't tell me these. No, things. no, I understand. Yeah. But you can sense that. Yeah. Do you think he's a happy man? I hope so. You see, if you didn't know him, you'd say, "Oh my God, he's a jolly man. Right. He's always smiling and laughing, and cracking jokes." Then you would have said, oh, "He's a happy man." I think the general consensus is that he's, oh, extremely happy. But those of us who have known him over the years would somehow sense that behind that laughter there's some pain. Because as one who has been in a hospital, unless all his nerves have been cut out, these things hurt. <laughs> And we are all destined to live with a certain amount of pain to a point where you begin to ignore it. Right. Unless, like now, we bring it up, then I sense my pain. Right? Oh. While I'm working, when no one's talking about pain, I, I don't feel it at all. It's fascinating. Yeah. A, a doctor will tell you that. Yeah, I'm yeah? sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, and of course, did you ever meet Dr. Kalikian? You know, the, remember the, the, the doctor who uh, performed all those operations on him uh, after yeah. the war? Yeah. Who became, I think, a real father figure in a lot of ways. You know, his injury took a lot of work. Ours were easy. <laughs> Just saw it up. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, speculative, totally speculative question. What kind of president would he have made? Would he have been down here half the time? I think he would have spent more time here than other presidents. Lyndon Johnson spent a lot of time here. He used to call them there. But he had his contacts here. Yeah. You know, people like Richard Russell was up there quite often, others. You know, it's funny, when Senator Dole arrived here for the first time in the Senate, <coughs> he was told to make Senator Senes's acquaintance. <laughs> and I wonder, were there, were there those sort of old bulls who, who were pointed out to, to newcomers? I mean, when you arrived, was there, uh, who, who were you told to... Well, I went through the protocol. 
And we all had cards. I left my card at the majority leader's office. <coughs> you call upon him. You don't just barge in the office. You have no appointment, you just call upon him. Then he calls you. I met all the leaders, Democrat and Republican. More hierarchy in those days. I, mean, I assume that's a thing of the past. So I knew Dirksen very well. Did you like him? Yeah, I got along very well. Yeah. How much of that was an act? I mean, he, he's such a theatrical figure, um, the whole persona. Behind that was a very serious legislator? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I guess I'm a bit of a hand. I mean, <clears throat> That's the same thing with Bob Dole. What's behind that laughter? Yeah. yeah. I know he's serious. Don't take him lightly. It's a great way to end. Thank you so much. Thank you. No.